Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, good morning. How you doing today? Yeah, you're doing good. Anybody doing great? It's okay if you are. It's okay if you aren't. I uh, hope you have... uh, begun taking some thoughtful steps uh, just for what we, we gather to do next week, and that is to celebrate uh, the resurrection of our Lord. Uh, I think probably the greatest uh, celebration on the church calendar is uh, getting to do that together. And I, I pray that maybe you have taken advantage of some of the cards that um, Kim and uh, others have put together for us to be able to easily extend invitation to someone to join us as we come to gather for worship next week to celebrate the resurrection. I hope you'll take advantage of, of that opportunity. Uh, I, I can't make these things, just so you know. I don't, I don't have the skill set to do these, but thank God for people who do. And I want to also encourage you to continue uh, praying about what you'll give uh, to the work of missions in North America through our Annie Armstrong uh, Easter offering. And uh, just ask the Lord to, to guide you in that. Now, this morning, I want us, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 11. I'm, I'm stepping out of our series, Matter of the Heart, and I want to address something in Mark 11 that the Lord kind of put on my heart this week. And the first, uh, if you would, the first 11 verses of Mark chapter 11 speak to an event from the life uh, of Jesus. It's known as the triumphal entry. It's known, uh, some people will call it, you know, the recognition of Palm Sunday. But basically, Jesus gets on a donkey and rides into the center of Jerusalem. And it's a key moment in the life and teaching ministry uh, of Jesus. It's mentioned in all four Gospels. And one of the things that I, I pray you and I all are captured by is this reality when God says something repetitively, pay attention. There are times when Jesus was teaching and he would say, truly, truly, I say to you. That was Jesus' moment to say, pay attention to this one. This is a big one. Over in Isaiah chapter 6, we uh, read, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What do you think the Lord was trying to get you to know in that verse? That he is Holy, yes. Well, what we read today in Mark chapter 11 is found in all four Gospels. There are not a lot of events, uh, not a lot of the teaching moments in Jesus' ministry that we find in all four Gospels, but this is one of them. And so this is God saying, pay attention to this moment. It is extremely important. Now, as Pastor Dean told you earlier, uh, th- this moment in time changed the, the city of Jerusalem in a dramatic way. It happened every year. It was a celebration of Passover. And this capital city of Jerusalem, which normally you know, was home to two to 300,000 people at that time, would swell to an additional million plus. Some estimates said there'd be two million people in, in the city. And it would just be crazy. People would be sleeping everywhere under trees. Everybody would look for somebody to you know, be hospitable to them and, and help them come in. And, and into this kind of craziness, 
Jesus rides into town on a donkey. Now, the day that he rode into town was what is known as the 10th of the month of Nisan. Now, I know some of you are saying, I thought Nisan made cars. Well, before they made cars, they made months. And that, that, I know, that was lame. You'll figure it out later. Yeah. So are you, are you laughing at me or at the joke? Okay. Either way, we'll, we'll just go with this. But it was the 10th day of the month of Nisan. And that's very important to grab hold of because the 10th day of the month of Nisan during Passover is the day when the sacrificial lamb was chosen. So families who were preparing to celebrate Passover would pick out from their, their herd or would purchase a, a spotless lamb, a lamb that was free, free, free of blemish. And they would bring that and it would actually live with them uh, uh, through that week and then they would sacrifice that particular lamb. Into that moment that was going on in Jerusalem, Jesus rides on a donkey. And I believe it was a declaration that the Lamb of God has come. The Lamb who would take away the, the sins of, of the world. And Jesus rides into town uh, on that moment. And he allows people to proclaim him as Messiah. In fact, he kind of set the deal up. You go back and study it. He set that whole moment up so it would be very clear that he was declaring himself to be God's, God's Messiah. And this was the first time where Jesus had really let it go significantly public that, that he was Messiah. Up until that point, Jesus said when somebody would realize it, Jesus would say, shh, keep that quiet. Keep that to yourself. Just, just keep that under your hat. But now he says, let it be known. The Lamb of God is here. And so Jesus rides into town that way. And God's people had been looking for this deliverer. But the, he, he just never seemed to come. In the Old Testament, you know, there were all these prophecies concerning Messiah, concerning this, this promised one who would come to deliver the Jews. And these, these great prophecies, they were embedded in the hearts of God's people. Just throughout the centuries, they had been hoping and looking. And it was a hope, knowing that this Messiah was coming, was promised. It was a hope that had sustained them through suffering through defeat after defeat at the hands of, uh, of great and, and merciless enemies. It, it had carried them through exiles. In the days just before uh, Jesus and then during Jesus' lifetime, they were under the occupation of, of a brutal empire known as the Roman Empire. And it, it had caused their desire for Messiah to, to grow and we can read about in history that there had been other men who had come before Jesus that they, they thought might be Messiah. They would, they would put their hopes in him. They'd gather a, a bit of a following. And they may even kind of go to battle with the Romans at, at some point, but then they would be killed. Or, or they would be discredited somehow. And the, the people would just kind of go back to that default of always feel like this endless waiting. And life had just become completely unbearable under Roman occupation. See, in the days following Jesus' birth, very few people realized that the promised Messiah was here, that he had already arrived. But when we read the gospel accounts and we see Jesus begin his public ministry at around age 30 and the teaching that Jesus did was characterized as something nobody had ever heard. Nobody had ever taught about God this way, that he was this incredible God of love and mercy and grace. And Jesus would stop and he would, he would 
spend time with children and bless them and he would, he would love them. And Jesus would, instead of condemning people of their sin, he would forgive them of their sin. He, he even related to those in society that were rejected by everyone else. His teaching ministry would be confirmed by miraculous signs and wonders. The blind would receive their, their sight. The lame would walk. Leprosy would be cured. The deaf would hear. The dead would be, would be raised. The gospel, the good news of God would be proclaimed to even the poor. And so many people followed him, believed that he was the, the Messiah, And all of this was preparing the way for this kind of moment that Jesus' mission would begin to be seen by all. And Jesus had stated that his mission was to seek and save the lost. Now, Jesus knew that that would only be ultimately accomplished through his death, burial, and, and resurrection. And so one week before his crucifixion, before that resurrection, we find this event. In Mark chapter 11, we see Jesus coming into town uh, from the Mount of Olives, going through the Kidron Valley, and then up into the city of Jerusalem. And Jews by the hundreds and, and thousands had assembled and began to line the street as they saw Jesus approaching. And the Bible tells us that cheers went up and they began proclaiming him, Hosanna is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus rode on this donkey. And as he did, they laid down their cloaks and their coats, and they laid down palm branches for him to to come across. Now, if we were to go back through the Old Testament and even into history and look at that that occurrence, it's cultural. I mean, it's something that they did. This wasn't the first time that kind of thing had happened. And we can begin to understand through things like uh, the use of a donkey that these kinds of use of lowly animals for the purposes of God had happened in other places in Scripture. In the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 6, God gives instructions, specific instructions on how a cart and the animals that are supposed to pull the cart uh, should be designed for the cart that would pull the Ark of the Covenant. And he says this, now then take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke. So he's saying, I want these kind of cows set aside. I I don't want them to have ever, ever been used uh, as, as a beast of burden. He gave specific instructions there. We see later on uh, in 1 Kings chapter, chapter 1, King David says these words. He says, I want you to take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon my, Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule, another lowly beast of burden, if you would, and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. So they're using God's, God's plan was to use this lowly beast of burden for the purpose of coronating the next king. And so this was an unusual one. So for Jesus to come riding in on a donkey sends a message. There's something that's going on here. Even to the Romans in that day, in in their culture, not just the Jewish culture, but this was send a message. See, a conquering king would ride into a city on a great stallion, a a, a giant beast, a great white horse that would make a big deal. But a, a king coming in peace would ride in on a donkey. Now, Jesus had not come to be this, you know, earthly king that would take the, the Romans on, but he had come to be this eternal king, this, this prince of peace, who would, who would not set people free from the tyranny of Rome, but the tyranny of sin. 
that he would, for anyone who would come to him, he would set them free from the power and the penalty and, and just the tyranny and condemnation of sin. And so we see Jesus fulfilling the word of God that had actually been spoken 500 years earlier uh, for, through the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 9.9. We read these words. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. And they're talking about Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? It had been prophesied 500 years before this actual event. And so people who this was deep in their hearts, they're awakened to this. They know what this is signaling, that Christ would be coming as king, but they didn't understand what kind of king. And so as, as Dean read to us from uh, Mark chapter 11 and verse 8, they spread their coats on the road. This was the coming king. They spread out these leafy branches, these palms. And it was a clear sign of kingship. Again, back in the Old Testament, when, when Jehu was uh, anointed as king, it says this in 2 Kings. It says, in haste, every man of them took his garment and he put it under him on the bare steps. As he was walking up the steps to be uh, kind of declared king, anointed as king, they laid their cloaks down. And he walked up the steps, um, proclaiming that Jehu was king. Now, so this was, this was, this was actually a dangerous statement that the people were making. I mean, they were declaring that this is Messiah, that this is, uh, this is our king. They were, they were kind of anointing Jesus as king. Now, from all four gospel accounts, we could deal with lots of different topics today, lots of different things that come out of this uh, historic account of Jesus coming into the city this way. But I wanna turn our attention to one phrase from the first three verses. So if you will, go back to Mark chapter 1, and let's, I mean Mark chapter 11, and look at verses 1 through 3 with me. It says this, as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of them, two of those disciples, sent two of them on ahead, and he said this, go into that village over there. He told them, as soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. Some translations say, the Lord has need of it. And as Dean read to us earlier, that's exactly how it happened. The disciples went into town. They spotted this donkey. They started to untie it without asking anybody. They probably saw these guys standing over there watching them, you know. They just go ahead and start untying it. And somebody says, hey, slow your roll, my donkey, what you doing? And they just simply said, and I imagine they were probably a little weirded out by it, but they just simply said, the Lord has need of it. And the owner let them take it. There's no discussion. We don't know the guy's name. We don't, we don't know anything about it. All we know is he responds to the Lord needs it. He says, okay. This, this unknown kind of player in this climatic moment in the work of the God in, on, on earth, this great story that's unfolding, he responds simply because he hears the words, the Lord needs this. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a strange statement to me, to my ears. 
to think that the Lord, the Lord God of all creation, who created the heavens and the earth by speaking, would need anything from any of us. But that's what, the, that's what the Bible says. And the Bible is authoritative. It's infallible. And it says the Lord needs it. How, how does the Lord need anything? Well, let's think about that together for just a moment. The way that this works and the way that God has chosen to work is on a principle of partnership. On a principle of partnership. See, God and his son Jesus have a family business. Their business is to redeem the, the, the whole world. Now, here's a question for you. Are you part of the family of God? Are you part of the family of God? Have you come to know God personally, relationally, been adopted into his family because of your relationship with Jesus? You've trusted Jesus as your own Lord and Savior. The Bible says if you have, you have become part of the family of God. And that means you're part of the family business as well. This business of redeeming the entire lost world. And here's what God did. The Bible tells us that when Jesus came, he humbled himself. He took on human flesh, which means God condescended himself, came down to earth to cooperate with people like you and me. With men and women, boys and and girls, that God said through this partnership of cooperation, this is how my work is going to get done. And so Jesus, being the creator, comes to earth. And so there are times that he needs to accomplish his mission. And so one of the things he does is he bars things. He's standing by a lake. And he needs to preach. And he needs a boat to stand on on the edge of the shore so people can hear him better. And so he borrows a boat to preach. He doesn't have a house of his own. So he borrows people's houses to live in. On the night that he would celebrate Passover with his disciples. He doesn't have a banquet room to do that in. So he borrows an upper room. He borrows a a donkey to ride into town on. Last thing that he really borrows is is a tomb. And he only needs it for a weekend. So why buy one? Just borrow one. You know, you can give it back to the guy later. See, this is what God does. He, he comes and he, he, he engages with humanity, with people just like you and me, partners with us to accomplish his work. And friends, I believe this with my whole heart, that that same powerful God wants to work in the here and now, in the city of North Charleston, Somerville, Goose Creek, Charleston, West Ashley. He, he wants to, to do a work with you and me. He wants to work in your families, in your home, in your life, in my life. And somebody say, well, can't he do it without me? Of course he can. Absolutely he could. But he's chosen this path of partnership, this cooperation with you. And let me show you just how all-inclusive this is. Okay, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul's writing about this. And he says this, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He's chosen the weak things of the world to shame shame the things that are strong. And what Paul just described was us, you and me. Sometimes we're just foolish. Sometimes we're just weak, but we're in. It's possible for God to use us to accomplish his his great work. You know, I, I talk to people who said, you know, I've, I've wanted to serve the Lord, but I, I, I haven't been able to go to seminary. 
God doesn't need you to go to seminary. God can choose the foolish things. He can choose the, the weak things. See, you're in. I'm in. We, we, we can do these things. It's this principle of partnership. He doesn't need a thing, but he wants to. And so he's decided the way that he's going to accomplish his work, his mission of saving the lost world is through me and you and what we have. And so here's the question. It's just a big question for the day. What do you have, you individually, what do you have that the Lord needs? You know, there are other stories in in the scriptures of, of God needing to accomplish his mission, something that somebody has. God sends the prophet Elijah to a widow in Zarephath, and the only thing she has left is enough uh, enough meal and enough oil to make one, one cake of bread left. That's all she's got left. And God sends Elijah to her and says, I need, I need that. And the Bible says she gives it to the work of God and that miraculously it never runs out. Her oil and that, that, that flour, it never, it never runs out during that whole length of time of that great drought. In John chapter 6, we, we read about a little boy who has this lunch of five, you know, small little loaves of bread and two fish, and there's this great need. Over 5,000 people, 5,000 men, and then their wives and their children are there, and they're hungry. And Jesus goes and says, I, I need that. And this little boy gives, gives up his lunch to the purpose of God, and over 5,000, probably 15,000 or so are, are fed. In the Bible, we see so many people over and over again who give to the Lord as the Lord needs it to accomplish his work. And in the hands of Jesus, incredible things happen. And friends, the story, the ongoing story of God's salvation on this earth involves an invitation to you and to me to come and to bring to God what we have, what we individually have. And as our God moves us all closer to the day of the Lord, the day of, uh, of his return, he calls us to be a part of that in our places of work where, where we live and learn and, and work and play. And that we would be willing to give whatever we have because the Lord needs it. And so this is the big idea for the day. If you have a pulse, God has a plan for what you have. If you've got a pulse right now, God has a plan for something that you have to use it to bring his glory. And here's the deal, friends. The Lord needs it. I don't know what it is specifically from you, but the Lord needs it. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, many of you know the verse. You can quote it. It says that that the, the Lord says, I know the plans I have for you. God knows what plans he has for you of what he needs that you have. The Lord needs it. What is that from you? Two weeks ago, I read um, an article. I don't remember whether the guy's name was John Harris or Joshua Harris. But he's, he's a journalist. And he wrote an article, and it was entitled, The Zelensky Test. The Zelensky test. And he was writing about the suffering that's going on in, in, in the Ukraine and the pain that's happening there and the remarkable leadership that President Zelensky has been giving. 
And he wrote about how the leaders in the West offered Zelensky this opportunity to, uh, to escape from the Ukraine and set up uh, a government in, in exile. And so many leaders before have taken advantage of those offers. But President Zelensky refused to do that. And many of you know that he famously said, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. That's what he said. And then he, he made another statement re, re, repetitively as he would close out meetings that he was having, you know, like Zoom meetings he was having with other leaders from around the world. He would end his meeting by telling the leader of another nation, this may be the last time you see me. Because he knew that his life was constantly under threat, it was at risk. Untold numbers of people in the Ukraine are putting their lives at risk. And friend, here, here was the point of the article. That should give all of us this sobering challenge. This test that we're faced with is how much would we sacrifice for the things that we hold dear, that we say are our deepest convictions? What would be, we be willing to give up? What would we be willing to endure to live out those things we say we are convicted by. As followers of Jesus, as we take our first step, because today, this Sunday, is kind of the first day of what is known as Holy Week, as we take our first step into Holy Week, I think it's, it's a good time for us to ask the question, what would I be willing to sacrifice? What suffering would I be willing to go through? See, remember, the life of followers of Jesus is not about being set free from, from suffering in this life, but about the pursuit of loving God and loving others, serving through sacrifice. That's what, that's what this Christian life is all about. And that's why when we, when we watch President Zelensky and the, the people of the Ukraine, it causes us to look deep in our souls at this Zelensky test. But Jesus as you remember on the night before he would be crucified, he gave a similar test to his disciples. And he told them, he said, here's what's gonna happen. You are all going to run away in fear. You remember what the apostle Peter did? Not me. Yeah, I, I believe that about these other guys. Not me. Jesus, I will never forsake you. Never happen. And before that night is over, Three times Peter has denied that he even knew, even knew Jesus, that he'd ever had a personal conversation, you know, with Jesus. And, and we here in, in the West, you know, we, we, we have things in this kind of consumeristic, materialistic culture that we live in. It, it, you know, it becomes so much all about culture. I mean, comfort for us and, you know, about things going well for us. Another great leader in our world who faced overwhelming odds was a man by the name of Winston Churchill. And he said something about us Americans one time. Um, famously said this. Uh, he, 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 he said, you can always trust that the United States will do what is right after they have exhausted every other option. Unfortunately, 
that seems to be true of the church of Jesus Christ in our day in the United States of America. That we will try every other option before we choose to to lay it on the line for our Lord. And friends, very often when when I face challenges, my my first thought is, it's not how can I face this challenge boldly and courageously, it's how how can I get my life to go the way I want it? And so often that stands in great conflict with living courageously out of our convictions. And so as we take our first step in the Holy Week, enter this story of that, that week of life with Jesus, the week that he told his friends, this may be the last time you see me. I want us to think about how will we walk in that? How will we walk it out? How will we walk out courageously our convictions? What sacrifice? What, what does the Lord need from us that we have? And there are a lot of places we could go, lots of places we could go and talk about this. I just want to do a, a few this morning. The first kind of group is a group of three that I want to give you, and, and it's this, that the Lord needs. The Lord needs this from all of us. The Lord needs our talents and our time and our treasure. Our talents and our time and our treasure. And I know you've heard that before. That's not new. It's not rocket science. It's just true. Remember, the Lord wants to partner with you. And he wants to bless you in that partnership, in the kingdom work that he's called us to. And so he wants to have access to your talents, time, and treasure. And I want you to think with me just about about talents for a minute. That, that God gives us. Exodus chapter 35 is a great illustration of this. God was uh, having the, the tabernacle built and all the elements of the tabernacle. And he spoke this to Moses in Exodus 31. He's, God says, see what I've done. I've personally chosen Bezalel and I filled him with the spirit of God, giving him skill and know-how and experience in every kind of craft to create designs and work in gold, silver and bronze, to cut and set gemstones, to carve wood. And friends, God has given you, little old you, some skills, some talents, some abilities for his purpose in his kingdom work. Now some of you say, I don't have any. People who study this, study after study after study after study, tell us that the average person has somewhere between five and 700 skills, talents, abilities. The average person. Here's another interesting statistic I read this week. That Americans, when, when, they, when Americans are surveyed and they ask, do you consider yourself to be below average, average, or above average, 65% of us say we're above average, which is mathematically impossible. 65% of us can't. I mean, it's just, you can't do that. But we do. So I'm going to assume that I'm with, you know, that 65%, the, the above average crowd here today. So I'm going to say you have at least 700 abilities, skills, and, and, and talents at your disposal that the Lord needs. I don't know what yours are, but let's, let's just ask some questions for a moment. How many of you, at some point in your day today, opened a door? Opened a door to get here. Maybe it's the door to your house, maybe it's the door to the church, maybe it's the door to the view. You opened a door, okay? 
How many of you maybe said good morning to somebody? Say good morning to anybody? Do you, do you have that ability, even if you didn't today? You know, I, I get maybe you were crabby today, you know, you didn't say good morning to nobody. Um, how many of you have the ability to smile? Don't raise your hand, show me. Show me, yeah, there we go, that's better, mo' better. Now here's the question, can you do all three of those at one time? Could you open a door and say good morning and smile at somebody? Because if you are capable of those three skills, doing them simultaneously, the Lord needs that. The Lord needs that to welcome and greet people when his people gather. The, the, the Lord needs that. Can you pour coffee or orange juice? You know, can, 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 you, can, you, can you talk on a telephone while being encouraging? Can you do, can you do, can you Google search? Can you cut out shapes? Do you know how to operate a Ziploc bag? You know, you could help stuff things in and, and seal it. Do you have these skills? Can you pray for others? And friends, I could do this all day long. Going through these five, seven hundred thousand, thousand different skills that, that people have. And for, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it deployed in his work. Whatever your skills are, and they're in the hundreds, the Lord needs it in his kingdom. If we go further into Exodus chapter 35, we read this in verse 10. Uh, God says, if you have any skills, you should use them to help make what I have commanded. God has commanded that he would build his church. You should help make that. You should help build that. Jesus, he's going to build his kingdom. We should, we should be a part of that. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, in Christ Jesus, God made us. Now look what he made us to do. He made us to do good works, which God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. The God of all creation, when he created you, he put hundreds of talents and abilities and skills in you. And the Lord needs them. He needs your talents. But he also needs your time. Probably the greatest commodity on the planet today for people is, is our time. And interestingly, as, as Jesus is redeeming lives, one of the things that he says he also redeems is our time. Now, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the Bible tells us there's a time for everything. There, there's a time for reaping and sowing. There's a time to be born, a time to die. There's a time to plant, a time to pull up what's been planted. There's all these things and a time enough for everything. And it includes enough time for you to serve God intentionally. Not just waiting for it to happen unintentionally one day. We should be doing that too. But for us to be intentionally serving the Lord. Because it's part of what God is redeeming. Look at this in Colossians chapter 4. Paul writes to the believers there, walk in wisdom. And he says, walk specifically in wisdom toward those who are outside. Those who are outside of the faith. Redeeming the time. Part of what we need to do with our time is to be intentionally thinking about how are we living? How are we displaying the gospel? How are we proclaiming the gospel to those outside of the faith? How are we using our time to do that? Are we? Are we thoughtful about the time God has given us to make a difference here? 
God wants to redeem that time. And to the church at Ephesus, Paul writes these words in Ephesians 5. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. God says, if you're not redeeming the time I'm giving you, if you're not using it for my kingdom purposes intentionally, you're living foolishly. You're living recklessly. But if you're living wisely, you're, you're redeeming that time. You're bringing that time back under my authority. For my purposes and my pleasure, you're using your time for kingdom purposes. And friends, there's never been a more important time to do that. If you notice that verse goes on to say, because the days are evil. I don't remember living in a time when evil has been on display and kind of running reckless and rampant all over our globe like it is right now. God wants to redeem the time. And that time is, he says, I need that. The Lord needs it. Your time, my time. The Lord needs it. And for the sake of the gospel. So that Jesus will be glorified here on the earth. God wants to redeem our time. The Lord needs it. And then there's our treasure. And some of you said, I knew you'd get to that money thing. Well, I am. Because God's word calls us. He says, I need that from you. In Malachi chapter 3, God makes it very clear. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. The tithe, the Bible says, belongs to the Lord. It's the first 10% of everything we produce. It belongs to God, and we're supposed to bring it to him. And it goes on to say, so there'll be enough. There'll be enough for the work of the kingdom, the work of ministry. We're to bring that. And God, but God doesn't stop there. He says, and if you'll do it, the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord who's over everything, has all power. He says, I'll open the windows of heaven for you, for you personally. I'll pour out a blessing so massive that you won't have enough room to take it in. And then he says the most, one of the most remarkable things in all of Scripture. He says, put me to the test in this. Only time God ever says, test me in something. Usually God says, you better not put me to the test. Don't you be testing the Lord God. But here he says, test me. Because he knew we were trouble. This would be a struggle for us. Our stuff. So God says, I need your treasure to accomplish the work. Remember, it's a partnership. I, I need your treasure. The Lord needs it. But friends, our money, not our only treasure. We have lots of treasure in our lives. We have people in our lives that are great treasures. We have relationships that God has given us. Just some incredible, beautiful relationships, gospel-centered relationships. Some of you have been in small groups that have blessed your lives immensely, in Bible study classes that have blessed you, in soaping groups that have just blessed you. Friends, you need to hear this. The Lord has need of that treasure. God did not give you your small group for you alone. God gave you that experience so that he would have access to it to multiply it in the lives of other people. And so God may be coming to you in this season and saying that small group that has blessed you, it's time for you to leave that and start another one. And for you to let me bless others with the experience I've given you. It's time for you to let go of that and give it to me and let me have it. The Lord needs it to multiply and grow his kingdom. Because everybody, 
Everybody needs what God has blessed you with, that treasure of relationships. So will you open your heart to that? Will you open your home maybe to that, to to new relationships? Not because you necessarily need it, but because somebody else does, so the Lord needs it. Will you be willing to do that? You say, Laura, I, I treasure my group, I treasure these friends, I treasure, but Lord, here it is. I'll give up my comfort. I'll sacrifice for you. The Lord has need of it. Your time, your talents, and your treasures. Here's something else the Lord has need of. The Lord needs your past, and in the first service I added this, your past and present pain and problems. Your past and present pain and problems. The Lord needs those. See, one of the greatest resources that you and I have are the problems and the pains that we've come through or are currently going through. The Lord has need of that. I I remember having a conversation with Jim Chandler just a few days before he passed. He was 90 years old. Nobody knew that he was about to go in three days. Nobody knew that. I mean, nobody expected it. We knew it wouldn't be long, but nobody expected it was three days. And in that conversation, what what Jim said to me was, Joe, I, I would, I don't know what I have to give to the Lord, but I want to, I want to continue to give to the Lord. I want to continue to, to be part of what he's doing in the world. Three days later, the Lord took him home because he knew that there were things that he had that the Lord, the Lord needed. He, he lived that way. In 1 Peter, Peter writes these words. He says, so then, Since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. Friends, the Lord has need of our suffering. See, the Christian life is not a life while we're living it here that's going to be free of suffering. If you you bought into Christianity because you thought, oh, I'll never suffer again, that's yet to come. In this life, you will have tribulation, Jesus said. But take heart. Take heart, I've overcome the world, he said, where all this tribulation is going to come in. Jesus needs your pain from your past and present. He needs needs the problems that you face from your past and present. I didn't get through what I'm about to tell you very well in the first service. I think I'll do better this time. This week, I had a, uh, a phone call from a young lady who uh, came to Jesus uh, when we were Middle and Park Baptist Church before God moved us over here. Uh, she came to Christ at the age of 13, and she had uh, one of the most pain-filled lives of anybody that I've walked closely with. She's been a part of our church since then, what some might call on and off at times. Um, when she was a young teenager, uh, her mama died, and it just tore a hole in her heart. Seven years later, her baby sister, after a long bout with cancer, died. And it just, it just was kind of a, a wreck for her. And it sent her uh, on, on the prodigal path uh, down some places that, looking back, she will tell you she wishes she'd never gone. But it was all in the pain that she was enduring and trying to figure out what to do in this life with that pain and that sorrow. And then eventually the Lord gave her a son, a little baby who she could love and and invest in and pour her, her, her life in. 
And then last year, at the age of 17, she tragically lost him. And it broke her heart again. And she was living in this pain. And she called me the other day, and she, she's not been here with us, not gathered with us. Um, she's actually right now living in Beaufort, but she tells me uh, on the phone, she said, Joe, I, I'm with y'all every Sunday. Live stream. Me and my little girl. And we worship. And through this these series of messages we do about the heart, God has spoken to my heart and he's told me that he wants something I have. She didn't use these exact words, but this is what she was saying. God wants to use my pain. She said, the Lord has told me that he wants me to work with at-risk youth, encouraging them, helping them, being an ear to them, whatever that would look like. She said, I was one, and I had one. And I want to help anybody avoid the sorrow that I have experienced. Because she realized that she had something that the Lord needed. It was her pain. It was her past. It was the struggles that she has endured. You know, your hurts your habits and your hang-ups, the Lord needs those. It's one of the greatest assets you have. Over uh, in, in the book of, of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we read these words. What a wonderful God we have. We could stop there and just go home. What a wonderful God we have. He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the source of every mercy, and the one who so wonderfully comforts and strengthens us in our hardships and trials. And why does he do this? So that when others are troubled, needing our sympathy and our encouragement, we can pass on to them this same help and comfort God has given to us. The Lord needs it. The Lord needs your, your past and present, pain and problems for his great glory. How are, you, how are you stepping in that? He, he needs it so that his grace can come to other people through you in that partnership. But so often we just hoard that or hide that, not understanding that God wants to use it as a part of the way to set you free, to build into you. And so your darkest, deepest sorrow from your past, God wants to redeem that in ways you never imagined possible. But it's got to come out of the darkness into the light. You got to, you got to tell others of what God has done for you and brought you through. Last thing. And this really kind of is all-encompassing. What the Lord really needs is your full devotion. He needs your full devotion. And even though this isn't part of the series that we've been doing, this message isn't the heart of the matter. In so many ways it is because the Lord needs all of you. He needs your soul, which houses your, your body and your mind and your heart. Your... He, he needs all of that. In 1 Kings chapter 8, we read these words. 
Let your heart, therefore, be wholly devoted to the Lord our God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, God's word tells us that his eyes roam to and fro all over the earth, throughout the earth, to show himself so that he can show himself that he is strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. The Lord has need of it. All that you are and all that you have, wholehearted devotion. Jesus, when he was teaching on this concept, he said it this way. He said, no person, no man, no woman, no one can serve two masters because you will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. You can't, you can't serve two. You can't serve God and your pleasures. You can't serve God and your comfort. You can't serve God and, and your own personal passions. Nobody can do that. It will lead you if, you, if you choose to serve those, it will lead you to despise God. And you're saying, uh-uh. I didn't say that, Jesus did. He said it's impossible, you can't do it. What do you have that the Lord needs? Well, it starts with your full devotion, your, your, your whole heart. The Lord needs it. And I don't know your story. I know some of your stories, but I don't know everybody's story. So here's what I don't know. I don't know if you ever came to that place in your life where you came to realize that you were completely separated from God. You were cut off. There was nothing about you that was devoted to him. You were serving another master. And the Holy Spirit of the living God convicted you of that. And he called you to himself. And he drew you in. And he says, not only do I need you, I want you. I want you to be my child. I want you for all eternity to be with me. So much so that I sent my only son to die. To die for you. So that you could have life. To be raised from death for you so we would conquer death. We would conquer sin on the cross for you. And here's what I'm asking. I'm asking for your full devotion. And if you've never, never turned to Christ with that thought in mind and said, Jesus, have it all, you can do that right now. You can do that in just a moment as our praise team sings. You can just sit there and just pray, Jesus, I mean it. I want you to have it all. But most of us have done that already. And what Jesus is saying to us today is, and he's already said it. You already know what it is. I don't know what it is. You know what it is. That Jesus has already come to you and said, I need that from you. And he's waiting on you to recognize that the Lord needs it. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's a talent. Maybe it's some treasure that you have. Maybe it's your past pain or present pain, problem that you've had. Maybe it's, maybe you've kind of pulled back from the Lord and he's asking again for your wholehearted devotion. I think maybe today, as we take our first step in the first day of Holy Week, that it would be a good plan if we went back to the Lord and said, you can have it all. And maybe, just maybe as an act of God, the Holy Spirit has clarified for you what it is that you've been holding back that he's calling you to let go of, that he's saying, the Lord needs this from you. You have it. I need it. 
Maybe before you leave this place today, maybe you want to just go to one of the crosses on the side here. There's little slips of paper and you just want to write down what that thing is and you just want to leave it on the cross. There are pens there. You can pin it to the cross. Maybe you want to do that as an act of worship to just say to the Lord, Lord, I've heard you say you need it from me. Here it is. Maybe it's your heart. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to just take some moments. I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, worship team's going to begin leading us in this song. And maybe you're ready to just jump to your feet and join them. Or maybe you just need to sit and soak for a minute and let the Holy Spirit use it to help you worship, help you discern what it is you need to release to the Lord today. Because the Lord needs it. Let's pray. Father God, we come. Jesus, we come. Holy Spirit, we come in this moment. This moment of saying, Lord, your word has spoken to our hearts. We realize, Lord Jesus, that you have need of something that we have. In that day, it was, it was a donkey, which was a huge deal to own one. Huge deal. And yet, because the Lord needed it, it got released. Holy Spirit, we come because as your followers, Jesus, we want to know what you need from us from what you've given us, the blessings that you've given us, our time, our talent, our treasure, you've given them to us, O oh Lord. What do you need from us? The pain that you have brought us through and delivered us from, the evil that we've come out of and had victory over, the sorrow that we are walking out of. Lord, how do you want to use that? What do you need? because we want to give it to you. We want to be those people who pass that test so you can have it all. We're all in. We'll be courageous about our convictions, about what we say we believe about you. So we come, Jesus. Have it all. In your name we pray. Amen.